Today's message is entitled, How to Live as the Day Approaches. How to Live as the Day Approaches. I want you, if you will, to turn to Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13. And we're going to start reading in verse number 8 of Romans 13. And as we get, as we are approaching and maybe are in and maybe are at the end of the last days, Paul is showing us, telling us how we are to live. We all love, uh, we all love instructions, don't we? We all follow directions. Anytime we put something together, we look at that book and we don't stray from any of the instructions that were given, do we? How many of you would honestly say this morning that when you are assembling something or doing something, you always follow to the letter the instructions that are in the instruction manual? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, so we're all in the same boat, aren't we? That boat, I hope it doesn't sink one of these days. But anyway, we're all in that same boat. We do the same thing. But the Word of God is an instruction book for us. And what Paul wanted us to see is how we're supposed to be living. Basically, I think we probably all have that thought, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to do in this, in this time of sickness and, and strange things going on and, and weird things happening to, in society and we're being told to do things we've never been told to do before and how does that affect the advancement of the gospel and how does that affect the Christian's responsibility? So I think we've got, more than just these verses, there are other things in the Bible that, that lead us and direct us, but there's important stuff in the verses we're going to read this morning. So that's going to be our focus as we talk about how to live as the day approaches. So let's look at Romans chapter 13, begin with verse number 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. Very true statement there, I believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So there's a really good instruction for us there. And if we ever stray, and if we ever fall to the side and, and forget these things, thank God they're written down, and thank God we can always go back to them and read them again. Because in the course of a day, in the course of a week, a month, a year, and living our lives, sometimes we forget some things that we need, that we should be remembering. Let me give you some dates here. 12, 1248, 1306, 
1989, 1732, 1989, And they would sell things, you know, like candles and and, and whatnots and gifts. And near our department, there was a couple that had this camera where they would take your picture. And then they would take your image and they would put it on a coffee cup or a T-shirt or a calendar. You know what I'm talking about. They would do that. And so they were were just a fun-loving couple. They really enjoyed what they were doing. Just happy people. And so, you know, you like working with people like that. And sometimes I had to work that side of the the department, and I enjoyed it because they were fun to talk to. And so I came into work one day, and they were gone. They had just, you know, pulled up everything and left. And I was a little disappointed because I thought, you know, they'd be there for a while. And you get to know people, and you get to you used to seeing them, and and it's you look forward to seeing them. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, they're gone. And so I asked around about them. I said, well, what's going on? What, what happened to the people that were working here? And they said, well, they were part of a group of people that thought that the end of the world was taking place on a certain date. So they were wanting to make their preparations. So they, they closed shop and left. And the date that they said was going to be the end of the world came and went. And it didn't happen. And truly, we are told in the Bible that what is going to happen will happen as a thief coming in the night. And, and certainly, you know, when, when I look at my Bible and I see the things that are going on in the world today, it really makes me think, and I'm, I'm thinking it probably does you as well, that we are nearing the end, people. And, you know, Scripture tells us that when that time comes, it's going to be unexpected and it's going to be very dramatic. Second uh, Peter three ten says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will meet with fervent melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up." And so I even think back to when we started the new millennium. You remember that two thousand, and everybody was throwing out warnings about every all the horrible things that were going to happen, and even then, I think, maybe we had an idea, you know, it just sounds like things are setting up for the end here, and here we are 21 years later, and we're, we're, we're doing okay, all things considered, right, church? I think so, but as I read my Bible, I, I just feel like something, it just seems like something is getting ready to happen, as, I, as I've been taught through all these years, and as, as we've We've studied in Revelation and end times and things like that. It just seems like it could be time for something to happen. And even though we don't know when, and even though Scripture doesn't give us a time that's going to happen, 
what scripture does do is it tells us how we need to be preparing for that time how we need to be prepared and how we need to be living until that time comes and here's how i have to accept that and here's how i have to reason with all of that i cannot change the world i cannot change what the world thinks and what the world does but i can make changes in my own life with the help of the holy spirit i can do the things that scripture is telling me that i need to be doing as we come closer to that time so that's what paul's doing in these verses this is what you need to be busy doing as that time approaches and he says and it is closer than you think it's closer than it's ever been so as we get into these verses the very first thing we see paul encouraging us to do is to have a genuine not just love but a genuine love for the people around us maybe one of the hardest things to do that we're going to talk about this morning but a genuine love genuine you know what that means that means it's not fake that it's real and there are no substitutes for it so a genuine love for those around us you know it says in verse 8 let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another don't be in debt to anyone except for the debt of loving one another is what that is telling us. So here's what I have to say about that. I owe a debt of love to my parents that I can never repay because they brought me up in a, in a house, a household where God was loved and honored and worshipped. Uh, there were certain things that, that we were told not to do and certain things we were told that were okay to do. Um, I was I was safe I felt loved I saw the faithfulness of my parents I saw the values that they not just tried to instill in me but that they lived out in their own lives and for that I am eternally grateful and I owe them a debt that I cannot calculate so I'm thankful for them but I also owe a debt to my wife uh, we have something very special that God has given us you know we met in that retail store that I told you about a few minutes ago we met at that retail store we went to her senior prom and Jeff and Donna were chaperones there <laughs> we <laughs> we became engaged in a Christmas play here at the church we got married here and we we had a son and you know we're we're growing old together <laughs> And we've had good times, and we've had some bad times, rough times, uh, so many blessings, too many to count. But what we have is really special, and I owe her a debt of love that I can never repay. But I want to continue to love my parents, and I want to continue to love my wife, as Scripture directs me to. And certainly, I owe a debt of love to you, this church. You know, over a quarter of a century ago, you asked me to be your youth pastor. And so I became your youth pastor. And then several years back, you asked me to be your pastor. And, well, here we are. And I've tried to be faithful in serving God. I've tried to be faithful in serving you and certainly make many mistakes. But I believe God has blessed this church, and I believe God has blessed me. I, I believe he's blessed our time together. Amen? I believe that he has. I know that he has. And 
I will tell you this, that your love and concern for me and for my family has always been evident. And that's a debt that I will never be able to repay. But I will continue to love you and serve you and serve with you until that day comes when we are called home. Um, and, and I think that's part of what this verse is trying to tell us to do. But then again, it's easy. It's easy to love my parents. And it's easy to love my wife. And it's easy to love about 60% of you. Plus 40. That's 100. It's easy to do that. Um, Paul goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, what he's saying is, the commandments of don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, it's all summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself because love doesn't do harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so do we understand that? Do we understand what it means that love is the fulfillment of the law? Do we see why he is using these commandments to tell us that all of that is summed up in love one another? got a little illustration I want to give you. Let's just say that you have a five-year-old boy. You've got a five-year-old boy in your house. And you tell him, now, there are some laws that you must abide in this house. you got to take a bath every day. got to make sure that you're, you're, you brush your teeth and you comb your hair. And you be nice to girls. And you treat those girls like you want to be treated. And the little five-year-old boy goes, Why? <laughs> Why do I have to do all that? And you say to him, well, because it's the right thing to do. And because if you don't do it, you're going to be punished. So he says, okay. And so he, he lives his life and he does his very best to do all those things. He takes a bath. He brushes his teeth. He combs his hair and he's nice to girls. And then one day everything changes. And this five-year-old boy becomes a 15-year-old teenager. Okay. And you don't have to tell him to take a bath anymore. You don't have to tell him to comb his hair anymore. And you don't have to tell him to be nice to girls anymore because he has discovered girls for himself. And there is one in particular that he really, really likes. So it's no longer a law for him that causes him to be nice to girls. Love has taken over. So love is now fulfilling the law. That's, that's a way of trying to understand that. That's what that means. Um, some of us are so intent on those Ten Commandments and we, we, we hold on to those like a life preserver. When he says all of that is summed up in this, love God, love each other. And we would sometimes much rather hear don't kill, don't steal, treat your parents right, go to church on, on the Sabbath. We would much rather hear all that than to hear somebody say love one another because that would mean loving that person that I said I would never love. That's, that's kind of how it is, isn't it? But God has always been, and I don't think anybody can debate this, God has always been about love. And it is not loving to kill people. Would you agree to that? That's not love, is it? It's not loving to kill people. It's not loving to commit adultery or to covet what other people have. So what Paul is doing in these verses is he's setting a precedent to say that God is love and love does not harm your, its neighbor. Therefore, the fulfillment of all of that is to trust Jesus today and let God love people through us. 
let God love people through us. God was about love in the Old Testament. God is about love in the New Testament. And he will never change. Never change. Even when you pray that prayer, God, you understand what a, what a jerk that person is, right? You don't like them either, do you? Have you ever thought that way? Surely, God, you can't like them. Look at them. But he loves them. And he loves you and he loves me. And he has always been about love and he always will be. So what Paul is trying to tell us here is that God's attribute of being love, that's, that's what he's all about. And he is showing us how that can be played out in real time in our own lives. We love each other. We love our neighbor. We don't covet. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. We don't kill. We love one another. It's all summed up in that. And it doesn't change the fact either when he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. It doesn't change the fact that we're dead to the law, that we're no longer under the law, and that Christ is the end of the law. And we've got to remember this. If Christ is in us, then he is going to want to love in and through us. That's what he's going to want to do. So even when you do have feelings of what you would call hate or strong dislike for other people, there is a part of you because he's in you and the Holy Spirit is there that's telling you that's just not right. And, and, and you, you, you know that, yet it's just so hard to make it a reality, isn't it? But nonetheless, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is to love. And we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So what we've got to do is be willing to ask ourselves if we're going to allow God to love people through us. Because you've got God in you. God is love, so it is possible for you to love anyone. Anyone. Think about that. It is possible for you to love your enemies. It is possible for you and you are encouraged to love your employees. As employees, we are called to and it is, it is possible to love our bosses, those who are over us. It is possible and we are called to love our, those that are in government positions or in positions of leadership in our society. It's possible to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we're kind of like, oh yeah, that one, I'm okay with that one. But it's also possible for us to love people who disagree with everything that we believe in. And that is, that is allowing, when we're able to do that, we're allowing God to love through us. It will never change. Love God, love people. So as the day approaches, that's what we're being encouraged to do. Love one another. And aren't people, doesn't it seem, that people are doing more and more to cause us to want to hate them than ever before. And yet, still the call goes out, love one another. So what does he go to next? Next, he tells us in verse 11, you need to be making a courageous commitment as a Christian in today's society. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Nearer now than when we first believed. 
So what Paul is saying here is saying, wake up and don't be indifferent to what's going on around you in, in the world today. It is not time to sleep. It is time for us to be wide awake. I tell you, uh, after having COVID last year, I, sometimes all I want to do is sleep. Can I get a witness? <laughs> do you sometimes just feel, a, I, I mentioned this last week, a strange type of exhaustion? Just tired of everything? Tired of, of you know, you just sometimes hard to get up. Somebody told me this morning, I'm not going to say who, Tony Oliver. But anyway, he said that, that if, if anybody ever hits that snooze button, he, he might as well call into work and, and tell him he ain't coming because he'll go back to sleep. That's kind of what you said, right? And, and you know, kind, that's kind of how we are as Christians. Uh, sometimes we're, we're asleep and we're not awake to what's going on in the world <clears throat> today. When I think about this, I think about the time when Jesus went to the garden and he took Peter, James, and John with him. And they went into the inner parts of the garden. And he said, I want you to come and I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And he moved a little bit further on about a stone's throw away. And he got on his knees, fell to his knees, and he began to pray. And he prayed so intensely that his sweat became his drops of blood. And then when he got up and went back to check on his three closest friends, they had fallen asleep. And he woke them up and he said, you know, watch and pray. And he did this three times. And every time he went back, they were asleep. And I think Jesus was easy on them because he said to them, well, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, he didn't flog them. He didn't kick them out of the garden. You know, he, he, he understood. He's a compassionate and loving God. But I wonder how many times in the days after that, that Peter, James, and John thought back to that night, and they said, man, if I had only known that that was the last night that I was going to have with Jesus Christ, I would have stayed awake, and I would have prayed with him, and I would have encouraged him. But I didn't know. I didn't know it was that close to the end. I didn't know that that was the last night that we would be together with him. And in listening that, to that and seeing that, I wonder how many of us in the church are in the same position. Being at a critical point in, in our existence, are we asleep to what's going on around us? Are we allowing the enemy to use things to cause us to be asleep? Not to keep us from understanding uh, how we're supposed to be living and how we're supposed to be loving. Is he using things like bitterness and jealousy and hatred towards other people? To cause us to be asleep and not awake to the things that we need to be awake to. Paul went on to say that the day of our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I think we can all get on board with that for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're all getting older, closer and closer to the end as each day passes. And I'm not trying to sound morbid. I'm just trying to give you some truth here. In Psalm chapter 90, it tells us that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And then it goes on to say, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So one of the wisest things that you and I can do is to number our days. You ever had that thought, <clears throat> I got plenty of time, plenty of time. I got plenty of time to do this. I got plenty of time to make that right. I got plenty of time to go to them and apologize later. I got plenty of time. 
but he's telling us to number our days number our days uh, I, I think things that are popping into my head or don't put off tomorrow what you can do today and also i saw something on uh, facebook this week and i shared it that said don't save something for a special occasion use it today because today is the day to do it you know don't save it for later use it today today is a special day and what we know is we number our days and the wisdom that we that we that we uh, realize and achieve is that we are not promised tomorrow we are not promised next week we're not promised next month we're not promised next year so even so the day is approaching quickly and are we living the way that god wants us to live and secondly the return of jesus coming back is closer than it's ever been before i mean our salvation is nearer than it's ever been before Jesus' return is closer than it's ever been. Verse 12 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And when I hear that and I think about him coming back, I think to myself, how much longer can he, can he hold back and not come down here into a world where we have made what was wrong and what is clearly wrong in Scripture how we have come to celebrate those things and encourage those things in our society. All because, well, the, 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 the culture has changed, the season has changed, the world has changed, and as these things change, we need to be willing to change as well. And so, is that applied to Scripture as well? Is that applied to the truth of God as well? Do I, can I just bypass that love one another and just love the people who are easy to love? Absolutely not. And I think to myself, as I think also back to the time of the flood, you know, we're, we were promised we'd never get another flood. And he sealed that promise with the rainbow, the rainbow, the symbol of God's promise forever and ever. Amen. That's the promise we have. And this Bible is full of promises, but also full of encouragement for us, for you and me to be living a certain way and upholding the truths that have always been true and always will be true. And let me tell you, the gospel has a built-in offense. We're sometimes worried about offending people, but the gospel already has a built-in offense because you're telling people that they're wrong and that they're sinning. But basically, it's the Lord that's telling them because you're just sharing them, sharing truth. But here's how we've got to share truth. We've got to share truth in love. Truth in love. It's not, I'm going to go out here and get these sinners saved because they're going to bust tail wide open. And by God, I'm going to stop that from happening and I'm going to beat it into them if I have to. You know, that's the mentality that we sometimes have. But the humility, where's the humility and the, and the, and the genuine love for other people? You know, God, I have such a heart for these people. I see what they're doing, and I, I want to be an example of your love. So flow freely through me. Give me words. Show me. Teach me. Show me what I need to do. Help me to be a picture of Christ to these people that they've never seen before. Help them to see that all believers aren't out to beat them over the head with a Bible. But we're coming to them in love because we know what's coming. It's quickly approaching. And that's why he said you got to love so that we can go out in love and share love. You know, 
our forefather, our forefathers got it. Back years ago, this inscription was placed in our country's capital, and now it is in the main reading room in the Library of Congress. And this is what it says: One God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event toward which the whole of creation moves. And what divine event are we moving towards? The coming of the Savior. That's in the Library of Congress. That inscription is there. So the, our forefathers got it, but you know we've got our contemporaries that understand it as well. And sometimes our Christian contemporaries can be abrasive. Sometimes we may agree 100% with what they're doing. Sometimes we like what they're saying, but not how they're delivering it. But I'm going to tell you what uh, some of you may know uh, and probably do know that the founder of Focus on the Family uh, is James Dobson. And he made a comment one time, at what point are we going to quit retreating and rise to defend what we believe? Are we going to be able to stand and object when our children are being killed because they are imperfect? Are we going to be able to stand and object if the state would ever try to assume ownership of our children and tell us how to raise our kids? Are we going to object when every teenager in this country is given immoral advice and then supplied with condoms to, to use that advice? Are we going to object if a university or a college fails to give a degree to an outspoken Christian student? Will we object if the obscenity laws are repealed and child pornography is ignored? Are we going to object if Christian businesses are required to satisfy a quota of hiring certain individuals that may not share beliefs? Now, I believe, I believe that what we do is we take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us to share Christ. So sometimes that means hiring individuals that we may not necessarily hire so that we can be Christ to them and in front of them. So there's some things you may get on board with and some things not. There is no Christian living today that's perfect that's going to say everything just right. But I, I agree with him. Are we going to sit by or are we going to object to the things? What about when, when the government tells a pastor what he can and cannot say from the pulpit? Will we have an objection for that? What if every area, every tenet of our faith is regulated by Congress? Are we going to object to that? When will we awake from our slumber is what he is asking. And so what Paul is telling us here is that we need to have a courageous commitment as we face the challenges that this world's going to bring us. And we got some challenges that we're facing right now. We've been facing challenges for a while. Let's just tell it like it is. We're always face have always faced challenges and we always will. And it will get progressively worse as the day approaches and there's one more thing that i think these these verses tell us that come from verses 12 through 14 let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light let us behave decently as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery not in dissension or jealousy but rather clothe yourselves with the lord jesus christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I think this in and of itself. Has an element of make sure you're saved. 
Make sure that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior because when he is inside of you, when the Holy Spirit is there, then you've got a new heart, you're a new person, new desires, and you're going to desire things of a pure nature, of a godly nature. So he's, he is uh, calling out to be morally pure here in these last days. And we see this all throughout the Bible, don't we? The Bible is constantly contrasting darkness and light, where light represents everything that is good, holiness, purity. And darkness represents sin and immorality. And you know, sadly, every time that the world sees a Christian, especially an outspoken Christian, make a mistake or fail, and that, you know, that's going to happen. Because there's no perfect Christian. And people make mistakes, and we continue to sin. But every time that happens, every time we make a choice that is not right, that's a choice maybe to move more towards the darkness than to the light, it's going to affect our witness. It's going to affect what people say about us. It's going to affect what people think about Jesus Christ. But are we willing? Are we willing to stand up for what is right? As we just mentioned, have a courageous commitment and, and be light in a dark world. I read a story about a young girl who went to talk to her minister, and she says, I can't do it anymore. She goes, I'm the only Christian at work, and I get nothing but sneers and taunts all day long, and it's more than I can stand, and I'm going to resign. And the pastor said to her, tell me, where are lights placed? And she said, what has that got to do with anything? He goes, never mind, just answer my question. Where are lights placed? And she said, well, I guess you put lights in dark places. And he says, yes, and that is why you have been put in that factory where you work in such a spiritually dark place because there is no other Christian there to shine their light for Jesus Christ. How many of us have been in a similar situation? I can't do this. I don't have any other believers. And I'm, I'm supposed to stand, stand for everything that's right all by myself. But you put light in dark places. To be a light that shines the truth in those places. And she realized for the first time the opportunity that she had. And so she felt like she could not fail. She, she didn't want to fail the Lord by allowing her light to be taken from this place. So she stayed there and she shined her light bright basically letting the Lord shine through her, she had a renewed determination. She began to have a courageous commitment. And what also fell into place, I believe, it doesn't tell in the story, it does say that she went on to lead nine people to Christ. But I also believe that, that what followed closely behind, or at some point in the sequence, she began to have a great love for these lost individuals in this factory. The ones that used to taunt and sneer and make fun of her. And maybe that's where we're at. Where, where we work. Or where we go to school. You know. Be that light. That shines. In dark places. If I look back in our history. At, at people who probably have been, been considered. A light for the world. A light of truth. A light for Jesus. I think of Billy Graham. And there was a book written about him. And it was called Prophet with Honor. And it talked about how Billy Graham could have been a very self-indulgent and greedy and rich individual. He had the opportunity to be all of those things. 
but instead he felt like he had other things that he needed to do for the Lord. And so they did a they they tried to uh, uncover, find the skeletons in the closet and uncover the bad things about Billy Graham. And what was found out to be true is that there was nothing there that that truly you could you could fault him for. And I don't like stories like this because it makes us think that, well, we fail miserably because look at him and look at me. Because Billy Graham was not perfect, and I think he would be the first to tell you that. He made mistakes. He still committed sins. He did. But he felt a need to keep things on the up and up and do things the right way because he understood the responsibility he had as a carrier of the gospel and as a preacher of the gospel. Because if you were going to believe what he had to say, you also had to believe that he lived the life that he said he lived. And he did. And that's why so many people esteem him so much. And he is a great man of faith, and I thank God for him and all the people that were affected by his ministries. But I will tell this to you as we finish, that as we are in the last days and as the, the end is approaching, I believe you can be a similar influence in your world and in your circle of acquaintances. I believe that you can show genuine love to people around you. I believe that you can have a courageous commitment here towards the end uh, to stand for what is right in love. And I believe that you can desire things that are morally pure and to stay away from the things that will cause you to fall or keep your mind away from the things that God wants you thinking about and doing. I believe that we can all do that. And I hope that in your spirit, you understand that that is a possibility. You may look over this past week and say, well, I've already blown it. But the beauty of a relationship with God is he doesn't throw us out because we failed so many times. He reminds us that I'm in you. With me, all things are possible. Let's do this. And he even comes to the point sometimes where he says, my child, I know you're tired and I know you're weary. So let me do this through you. And that's the God you have. The God that saw through time and saw you and saw what your struggle would be and saw the problems that you would have. And he said, I believe in his heart, I love that person. I see their struggle. I want them to know that all is not lost. I'm going to take care of everything for them and I will complete it at the cross and then I will rise again and there will be hope for that person. And they will see as they read the word of God and as the truth is opened up to them through the power of the Holy Spirit that there is nothing that I can't do through them. And that's for each person, each person here in this building, every one of us. So that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of church that I want us to be, a shining light so that people who are out there living and they're being beaten down and feeling defeated by everything that's going on in the world, sometimes that's going to be you and me, can come into this place and worship a God who has already taken care of everything. And He's trying to build us up in such a way that we will remember when we go out on the front lines and we're afraid and we're worried and we're concerned about what's going to happen. 
that he's going to say, I got you. Not only do I got you, I got you in my right hand and I'm all around you and I'm inside of you and I will tell you what to say and I will show you how to love and we'll get this thing done and it will bring glory to me because through your efforts, people can be saved. People can hear the gospel. People can see Jesus, what Jesus is like in 2021 because of the way you are letting me work and live through you. That's what he wants to do. Let's wake up and let him do it.